Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, I hope you're having a good time playing a lot of magic at home at a safe distance from other people, practicing a little social distancing and getting better and better at magic. I've got a brand new guest to the podcast that's with me to talk about all forms of magic. Please welcome to the podcast, Power Dragon. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Have you been on any podcasts before? Uh, yeah, we actually have our own podcast that we do uh, mm-hmm. called Color of Magic. So I get to do this every week myself. That's cool. And how long have you been doing it? Actually, not that long. We started, I believe our first episode came out right around, it was the last week of October last year, the beginning of November. So mm-hmm. we have 29 episodes in the books now. That's cool. I know a lot of people are like starting a lot of endeavors during the quarantine time and i know you started it before the quarantine of course at episode 29 but it you probably have more time to like dedicate to all of your all of your endeavors now eh? well absolutely i mean it it was one of those things that once found out okay everybody's going to be at home more often i'm going to be home more often okay how much content do i want to put out like Mm. how are people going to be consuming things so i've been spending almost as much time learning how people are consuming content the new situation that mm. have been creating content, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that segues us into, I like to give uh, guests a moment to self-promote. So tell us all about your podcast where they can download it, the name of it, or any other things like your streams and all of that. I have so much stuff going on. So uh, <laughs> our podcast is Color of Magic, and it's a magic-focused podcast. However, we use it as a way to give people that are less visible in the magic community a platform. So... Mm-hmm. Those were both African-American men, but we do have women on, mm-hmm. you know, we've had guests that are trans, just a bunch of people who don't generally have as much of a face, I guess, in magic. Yeah. So we like to do the news of the week, talk about some different interesting social issues, and then usually have a guest on at sharing their perspective mm-hmm. in the game. And then alongside that, I actually have a whole entirely separate YouTube channel just of the Power Dragon brand. Mm-hmm. And... I've been putting up a video a day since quarantine started, like <laughs> three or four weeks ago for people. So yeah. you can definitely join there. Follow me. It's just youtube.com slash power dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And there is a ton of content I put up over there. And then, of course, I'm also streaming on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Same thing, twitch.tv slash power dragon. And I'm usually on three nights a week. I do Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, 9 p.m. to midnight Pacific time. Well, right now, with it being isolation, quarantine, kind of weird times, mm-hmm. I do also get on over the weekend, usually for an afternoon stream as well. Oh, very cool. I'll put all of your links in the show notes, get you a little bit more traffic, and I've got to check out your podcast uh, to add it to my feed because I'm always looking for cool new podcasts about magic especially. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's available just about everywhere. We also put it up on MTG Cast. Mm-hmm. it's i think the only site we actually aren't on our spotify mm-hmm. because like there was a fee or something with how we wanted to do it oh really we're like well that's the one we won't be oh no not spotify actually it's uh-huh. on soundcloud we're actually not on soundcloud yes we're everywhere exactly else. soundcloud's the one that uh so i host my podcast there and it is that yearly fee there but then it distributes it everywhere else and i know there's several ways to do it all but that's the way i did it when I started my podcast a while ago so i said well, i guess i'll keep it going and mine appears on the other distribution platforms as well 
Well, um, pulling pulling back the curtain a little bit, we were both in the uh, Early Access Streamer event, the Wizards of the Coast-sponsored uh, streamer event back on April 15th, and that's where I uh, tried to kind of like reach out to you. So um, let's give our little shout-outs to Wizards of the Coast. Thank you for the opportunity to be on the uh, on the on the Early Access. So how how was your event? No, I think it's great that Wizards. One is acknowledging the different content creators and inviting people to participate in this type of special event because mm -hmm. it does create a lot of hype. It's an easy promotion for everybody. Usually gets everyone a couple more eyes they wouldn't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. I think the cool part from a business perspective is it gives wizards and the developers almost like a quick close beta of the release. Mm -hmm. Just like, okay, here's these like 100 or 200 people that going to be giving you feedback all day long so they yeah. get a chance to correct things before it goes to the public you know 24 hours later mm -hmm. which is pretty neat and then from a player perspective you get to see people try some things so when you get your cards you already have a few ideas of decks you can build and whatnot it's it's really cool i, I think it's awesome that they do that and have continued to do it with every set mm -hmm. how many times have you had a chance to be part of it i believe i've only participated the last two Mm -hmm. out right, of I think those, I've only done the last two. Out of those two, I guess that was uh, Theros Beyond Death and uh, Ikoria, Layer of Behemoths. Which of the two sets in general did you have more fun during that event with? I think I had a little more fun with Ikoria, but I think it. I don't think it's necessarily the sets themselves. I think it was mm -hmm. because I was better prepared. Like yeah. I did, I was already doing review videos every day as they release cards on my YouTube page. Then right at the last day, as we started getting the final list, started putting deck lists up. So I already had deck mm -hmm. lists ready to go. I had stuff loaded on my Aether Hub page. Mm -hmm. I was already like getting the files ready. So all I had to do was wake up the morning of, <laughs> load decks in, and I was ready to go. Yeah, shout out to Aetherhub. I had my decks there too, prepped, ready to go. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> proud, proud sponsor of the podcast one day, I hope. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they seem to be doing a lot of cool work over there. They have yeah. some new features I haven't tried implementing yet, but I'm mm -hmm. definitely looking forward to it. So when you said you got up and then started uh, on Arena, did you start it as an early sort of stream? And how long did, it, did you end up uh, doing that early event, that early access event? Actually, so here's the amusing thing. I believe... That day, I actually had a test I had to do that morning for for a job. Mm -hmm. They'd sent me an email like, hey, we need you to go online and take these tests. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my goodness. It's actually like release day or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. So, like, got up, made sure files were downloaded for Arena and everything was working. Mm -hmm. Then I did my actual test, which took, like, about an hour or whatever. And that was around 11 local time. And then mm -hmm. once that was done, I literally grabbed a drink and a snack and then popped <laughs> open Arena and started streaming. Yeah. I try to kind of do a little bit of a gimmicky aspect of it in terms of, well, yeah, I've got a day job and, and all of that. And I <laughs> yeah. love to stream all day and such. But um, my gimmick is, okay, I'm going to stream at like these odd times. So I started streaming at 3.33 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, and then, you know, take breaks and come back again, like at, you know, 5.55 p.m. Pacific time. And then just like trying to put like these repeating digits in my in my time just to remind people about a weird time that I that I stream at. And I've managed to be to be able to do it a few times for these early access events. And I've kind of done it done it at that. Uh, maybe like, uh, hey, everyone, come back at 11, 11 p.m. tonight and I'll keep on streaming. Yeah, I think that's a smart move. You know, I think one of the things I well, 
man, I, I don't know how long you want this podcast to go. I have so many stories of things to talk about. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's one of the things people that are streaming don't really think much about is our time zone yeah. along with the times you're choosing are very important. Like I decided I was going to start streaming. I looked at everybody that was on in the evening mm -hmm. and then I was like, okay, well, there's already this, but at least in the Pacific time zone mm -hmm. around like seven o'clock to about 10 PM or so. That's, that's the sweet spot. A lot of people get on prime time. Mm -hmm. But I was like, there's really nobody that starts like 39 o'clock. So I do 9 p.m. to midnight. Mm -hmm. But with that, my audience is also different. I get a lot of people from Australia, New yeah. Zealand. You know, so I just have a different crowd on at that time of night. So it's been pretty interesting to see how it all sort of comes together. And I tell people like that's part of it when you're trying to grow. Because if you're on, especially in Twitch, like Twitch doesn't have a great search feature for somebody to just... And a person playing like a gruel deck, right? Mm. You can't just go on and say, do a search, which really Twitch, if you're listening, <laughs> should be able to search by people's titles or whatever to make it easier to find what you're looking for. Or yeah. even like a shared hashtag would be nice. Mm. But one of the interesting things is have to really find what is a good slot for you to be discovered. Else it's just going to take you that much longer. And I think what you're doing is smart. You're like, hey, I'm going to do this thing so people remember when mm -hmm. they can find me. Mm -hmm. now, even It's a small thing, but if that gets you two or three more viewers, it's a start. Exactly. It's building a niche for yourself because everyone can be a content creator. Everyone can create a Twitch account for free or a Twitter or a YouTube and such. And it's up to the individual person to create some sort of persona or like something memorable about themselves or that sort of thing. Because if everyone's a creator, then you've got to stand out from the crowd. Agreed. I think there's a lot of people who in their mind, they say, okay, I want to produce content for a living. Whether it's making YouTube videos or writing books or whatever it is. They think they're not willing to look at the actual practical business aspects, mm -hmm. allow them to get there. I think a lot of people just say, okay, I want if I keep doing this and I know I'm good at it, somebody's gonna see it. <laughs> well, in theory, yes, but really like it's it's that whole needle in a haystack thing. Like you you mm -hmm. need to either get lucky and the right person see it and some of your stuff goes viral. Mm -hmm. Or you have to make a plan. You have to literally say, okay, I'm going to do these things, get to in viewer average. Yeah. Right? Like, and then, okay, now I want to get to 30 viewers average. Okay. Now I want to get to 75. Okay. Maybe now I'm going to try to be partnered on Twitch or whatever it is. But you have to set realistic goals, understand how to get there. Because it's sad when I'll go, and I, even before I started streaming, I, because I'm one of those people that, not really a numbers person, but except for when it affects my job or a project I'm really involved in, then I want to know everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and same thing, when I was looking at Twitch, I'd find a lot of people that were on on the same day, same yeah. time, had zero to one viewers. Mm -hmm. so they they weren't changing anything. And it was just like, not looked like sound is really bad. And <laughs> you know, you're not engaging the one or two people that have actually come by your channel. And it's like, you know, you see the people being frustrated and they're just trying to be really good at the game they're playing and it's like oh, but a lot of people can play the game well like yeah. why are they stopping on you like give them a reason yeah like one of the big magic personalities gabby sparts i listen to her podcast and she talks about that that it's like when she plays yeah she's trying to play but she's got an audience that she needs to entertain and i think people need to keep that in mind because you can get high level magic gameplay from everywhere but do you get the responses 
that you're expecting? Do you get like jokes or banter or some sort of personality? And if you're able to offer something different than the rest, that might be your stepping stool to, to other things. Oh, absolutely. I think she, she hits it right on the mark. I mean, I think you have to have a unique voice. Like for me, it's just being around the game industry forever, having all these different jobs and things I've done in the industry that like I can speak to that. So I get to tell fun stories about mm -hmm. stuff that the average streamer probably isn't able to do. Mm -hmm. But with that, as I was starting, and like I said, I got those people from Australia or from New Zealand, like I started engaging them, asking them about yeah. home countries and different traditions they have. And, you know, and mm -hmm. then it resulted in one of them reaching out to me and they wanted to interview me for one of their like S projects or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like it just became this whole thing. And now I have regular matter of fact, I made those people my moderators in my channel mm -hmm. as I started getting more people because I was like, well, y'all were here first and y'all already know all about me and know what I like and don't like. Yeah. Here you go. You get little swords by your name. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very nice. But it's worked great. I, I tell everybody that. Like engage each person comes to see you. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would even recommend as I tell people when they're starting out, I tell them just cover up the numbers. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many people are in your stream. You should be communicating as though there are fifty people in your stream all the time. Mm -hmm. When that one person comes by they're listening to you, they're asking you questions, you know, and now they're probably going to come back the next time you're on. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes by and you're just silent, clicking your buttons, playing arena or whatever it is you're doing, yeah, probably not coming back. Yeah, exactly. You've got to give people a reason uh, to check you out. Our time is so limited, our attention spans are so limited that you've got to be memorable. And whenever you engage with that audience, it really gives people that that good feeling about, oh, they care about me, they're paying attention to me, and it might be something then that they give you back in return simply by coming back in return. Absolutely. And and they have a ton of choices. You know, anytime I'm on and streaming, there's probably 50 other channels they can yeah. go watch. Mm -hmm. They're choosing to stop and hang out with me. And I thank them all the time. I tell them, like, man, it's awesome. Chats have so little vitriol. I hear about so many people on yeah. Twitch or even just in gaming in general that get so much negativity. Mm -hmm. And we've maybe had to boot one person yeah. and maybe off like three bots, I think. Like, I am so thankful for that. And I always tell people like, hey, I get it. You have a lot of, especially right now, you're a home all day. Yeah. And you're choosing to take some time to come hang out and watch me. Like, I super appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Oh, very nice. I've been asking guests recently uh, if they would like to share some sort of um, like positive words or health care regimen or whatever, because we're all stuck inside and all of that. So do you mind if I ask you then uh, if you'd like to kind of share anything regarding that? Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. Uh, I actually started this about at least two weeks ago. I don't know how much longer beyond that. Mm -hmm. I just got this weird idea because I never really use Instagram. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know why I use all the other social media, but for some reason I was just like, you know, I probably should be putting something on Instagram since I'm doing all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just to keep touch with some other segment of people who just, you know, they play on Instagram more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I want to, everything I do, I want to do with a purpose. I decided doing little like 30 second to one minute videos, mm -hmm. giving tips for people to do while they're in isolation. Mm -hmm. So I go on and tell people like, hey, reach out to people that, you know, are home by themselves right now. 
might be a little bored, feeling lonely or whatever, just shoot them an email or reach out to them on Facebook, you mm -hmm. know, something small. You know, think about things that you've wanted to learn, but you haven't really had the time. And right now you could be learning like new language, There's free yeah. apps. You could just download one. You have an extra, like bare minimum, I would say the average person has at least an extra hour a day because you're not commuting or you're not waiting in an elevator. You're not doing any of these other things you would normally do to and from your desk at work. Mm -hmm. So that's time you just magically found, you know, apply it to something new and take advantage. Like for me, it was like, okay, I'm doing all these videos for YouTube and whatever, you know, and I'm researching how the YouTube algorithm works and, but just find something and really dive into it. And it keeps your mind sharp. If nothing else, when you go back to work or if, if you unfortunately lost your job and mm -hmm. are looking for a new job, you'll have a new set of skills that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Well, that's excellent advice. Uh, we'll put your Instagram link as well in the uh, in the show notes so people can go check out those those short and sweet um, items. I'm doing something similar to that on my Patreon. I'm putting out a, a, also like a short little little thing like. A, talking about how's your day and such, and then also showing off a vintage magic card and a comic book. Those are my two big hobbies, Magic uh, magic the Gathering and comic books. And it's just another way to connect with people on a, on a daily basis, just to check in with people because some are more isolated than others. Some might not have a support system as close by as other people. And I think still connecting via digital means is still way better than being isolated during this, during this trying time. One of the interesting things I've had a couple people mention, which makes a lot of sense, is that my face, I guess, in a <laughs> weird way, has been a sense of normalcy. Like mm. they know they're going to open up Instagram and there's going to be a video at some point during the day, right? Mm -hmm. They they know if they follow me on YouTube, they're going to see something from me on YouTube every day. It's And it's interesting because I think, especially as Americans, because we're so bad about vacation time and everything mm -hmm. else get used to a routine we get up at you know between six and eight o'clock we go to work we get off between three and six o'clock we come home you know we eat we do go to the gym or do whatever we're going to do but that routine's now been broken for a lot of people mm -hmm. so anything that gives them that normalcy of things they can do or things they can look forward to is almost comforting for some people i think I think so. You hit the nail on the head. That routine that was always there that we were used to is, for a lot of us, not there. And so to have some mm -hmm. sort of normalcy, another guest also said something as basic as, yeah, keep making the bed in the morning. Keep doing something that was what you would normally do during a, you know, just a few months ago, a few weeks ago, and that'll aid in that sense of normalcy. Yeah, and that's a big thing because I I had a day, this was probably two weeks ago, where I just decided, you know what, I'm purposely going to break routine. I'm not going to work on something today. I'm going to stay in bed late. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the day, I just felt really weird. I just felt off. Like mm -hmm. I didn't didn't get up and my body didn't get motivated. I didn't have that energy. I didn't get anything productive done. Yeah. <laughs> I just felt so weird. I was like, yeah, let's not do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's good advice to have a little bit of normalcy. So let's go on and talk a little bit about some of these magic topics. Absolutely. Okay, so magic's been around a long time. What's your history with magic? What's uh, How long have you played magic in any form? I've been playing magic a long time. Uh, it's, I guess it would be, oh gosh, 20, 
23 24 of the 26 years of magic wow. now i yeah. think mm -hmm. i was the the way i picked up magic is kind of funny i was on a our, our student council was taking a trip for something i don't remember what we were doing <laughs> we had gone to corpus christi texas we were on the way back no, we were leaving and we stopped at the mall. Actually, it was Padre Staples Mall. And there was a store that had different types of game things and whatnot. You know, they had some D&D stuff. I'm looking at these decks on the shelf and I'm asking this guy, what is this magic thing? Because you know, I thought it was like a D&D related supplement or mm -hmm. something. I don't know. <laughs> He's explaining it to me and I'm like, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. There's these multi different boxes here. And there were some that was unlimited and there was revised, you mm -hmm. know, and i don't i don't understand which one's better and he's like oh well the revised one has cards from you know, like arabian nights yeah. and whatever and i was like oh well obviously that's the one i want <laughs> so that was mistake number one <laughs> yeah, so i picked that up I'm, I'm reading through it on the bus on the way back home and you know by the time i get home i kind of realize like oh i really need two decks to play this mm. that was kind of mistake number two <laughs> mm -hmm. like oh well i just toss it in my drawer don't think about it for a couple days of mine he's getting back into town from austin and he says and i was in austin i'm playing this game with my brother he's describing like the mana and whatever i was like that's familiar i'm like is it called magic and he's like yeah he's like dude i have a deck at home he's like really he's like yeah so i went to my house got my deck and we for real played magic with two junkie starter decks for yeah. probably about it must have been four hours mm -hmm. <laughs> like but you know from there it kind of opened up all these other doors and i've been playing ever since Oh, very nice. So it's always great to talk to a, a classic player as well. I started in 1995. Uh, so like fourth edition and Ice Age, those are like my sets from back in the day and my nostalgia point. Um, so this podcast has allowed me to talk to people in the full spectrum. I've had people that started playing in beta. I've had people that started playing two months ago. I've had people all over the place. So it's really cool also to talk to people that within about the same time period, uh, we're playing. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic when you find people who've been playing that long and have still stayed around. One of the things I've learned over the years is the average, I guess we would call it magic life yeah. of a player is really only somewhere between like six and a half and seven years. Mm -hmm. And some people do come back into the game, but their, their significant stretch usually goes about that far. Mm -hmm. And it's always interesting when you see those people who have just never left. You know, mm -hmm. they've, they've broken the cycle the, to the largest extent so it's kind of neat to see why people have hung around or why people left and came back you know mm -hmm. it, it's a, everybody has kind of a different journey in the game which is very cool well actually for me it, there was a break actually i was about to say that between 95 and 99 is when i first played and i gave it up for a long time until 2017 a huge amount of time and I just kind of it had slipped through the cracks for a long time. And then I got back into it in 2017 with Hour of Devastation. And since then, I've been pretty nonstop. But you, what about yourself? Have you been pretty much nonstop since since uh, since back in Revised? The interesting thing for me is I played pretty heavy. We had some friends in high school that played, moved off to go to school, and found people there that played. And then I ended up owning the card shop. Mm. <laughs> or I guess the game store, really, that I'd been going to. <laughs> and then during the course of that, I got to run events, run conventions. So then eventually moved away, spent a couple hours, or a couple hours, a couple years <laughs> working for, for Wizards. <laughs> and then, you know, moved on to work for other things. So magic's just been constant in my life. I mean, matter of fact, 
I actually did. I was part of the first Magic podcast oh. actually about 15 years ago. I guess it's 16 years ago now. Uh, me and another gentleman from Texas uh, named Eric Ellison. He decided we. He was actually it was his idea. He came to me and says, "And there's these thing called podcasts that a lot of the <laughs> tech industry is doing right now, or whatever." And I'm like, All right, "That sounds kind of cool." Like, yeah, let's try it. So we record junky. I mean, technology that exists now is way better to do podcasts on. Yes, better microphones, better websites. The RSS feeds are automated now. Like, yeah, way way better. We just we were just you know bare minimum doing it. We had a, a little sponsor. We did commercials, and it was it was a big deal for us. So it was cool to do that for a couple of years. Then recently, start up the podcast. I actually I think I sent a message to uh, Guinness, but they never got back to me because it was like <laughs> it's the longest stretch between somebody hosting two podcasts. Uh -huh. Like I'm pretty sure that's got to be a record, right? Fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's really cool. Uh, does that do the original episodes exist anywhere? Are those still downloadable? I think I only I managed to find one, and I'll have to say I think I have it saved somewhere. I might be able to share it with you if I remember. Mm -hmm. The problem was it was on I guess, Geo Brainburst. It was on on Brainburst website as they were transitioning to mm -hmm. being TCG Player. Oh, mm -hmm. like, I think people aren't even aware of that like that wasn't TCG Player wasn't always TCG Player. Yeah. And as they made the transition, some of those files, I guess, got lost or deleted mm -hmm. in the process. So I, to my knowledge, I believe only a couple of those episodes exist. Mm -hmm. And I think Eric has w access to one or two of them still that he had saved. Mm -hmm. I kind of like those like ancient digital artifacts when we still have them around because for all of human history, things are recorded on... Uh, you know, stone and paper and metal, whatever. And then we get to the digital age uh, in the 20th century and 21st century. And then now things aren't as permanent as they used to be, unfortunately. that Maybe it's a lot easier to create. We don't have to chisel a stone tablet, but it doesn't last 10,000 years like it used to. So these digital artifacts that we're still able to recover from even just 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago uh, are still very impressive. I remember reading, I want to say it was maybe last year or the year before, there was a couple of fires that happened in a few places, and the only records of some of this stuff were just on these random digital elements, and the heat affected them, mm. and they just lost like years and years worth of data, which is yeah. so depressing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's tough because we live in a society now where it's funny because I think about like 50 years from now or 100 years from now, you're in a period of time where literally every single thing is recorded. Like mm -hmm. if you were to take a giant pile of files, you would be able to put together a near perfect view of what one day in the world looked like if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. That's pretty wild to think about. But then at the same time, a bunch of that just may be easily magnetically erased for any given yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what they keep saying that we're due for a huge shoulder flare that's going to really mess up technology? Yeah, as soon as it does, I mean, a bunch of things are going to go sideways, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Well, that segues us perfectly into our classic time-playing paper magic, and now we've got the digital version of magic. Of course, we've had magic online for years, and just quick question, have you ever played magic online? Yeah, they, here's I have a fun story about that, actually. When magic online was originally starting in, I guess, pre-beta, actually, hmm. they had reached out to... My understanding, I believe it was all like people who had qualified for the pro tour 
Nazi employees and there was another group of people. I can't remember who that third group was. Mm-hmm. So I remember getting to see it as it was launching. So I actually had an account and played then mm-hmm. and then played through about the first maybe four or five years of it. Then mm-hmm. I just decided like Magic Online is just so cumbersome to be able to play. It's not any more for me personally, mm-hmm. it's not any more convenient for me to play Magic Online than it is for me to play paper. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that if somebody I want to play with is not immediately near me, I can play with them online. Just the time element isn't there. Whereas when I play arena, I can play three, four game matches in an hour sometimes. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can do that in Magic Online. Mm-hmm. So I still have a Magic Online account with stuff. The most recent thing might be from five, six, seven years ago because yeah. I got on and maybe drafted or traded some cards to be able to play in an event. Mm-hmm. But most of it is probably going to be from 10 years ago. Uh-huh. So then that means you've been um, on Magic Arena a little bit more. How long have you have you had your Magic Arena account? Uh, again, I'm pretty lucky. I've actually came out during the couple of years I was working at Wizards. Mm-hmm. So I got to see the early elements, you know, up until day one, you know, had my account ready to go. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I remember seeing like the very first preview of it uh, over at the professor's channel. And he kind of talked about it uh, in late 2017, I believe. And then Wizards put out the call in early 2018 about uh, come sign up for the closed beta. So I put it like, uh, I think like right on my birthday, January 4th, 2018. And I sent them the email about, yeah, include me. And then by April, I got the, I got the invite for that. So I've been on, uh, on arena there since, uh, April, 2018. And it sounds like you've been there even earlier. So that's really cool. You've, you've seen the evolution of the client, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I, and it's funny because I see, we have, have a joke in the industry. We just pretty much say like, you put hundred dollar bills in booster packs magic players would complain about how they're folded (laughs) but it's sort of what it feels like on some days when you look at the thing is magic already is a super complicated game Mm -hmm. how it works and there are programmers wizards went out and got that don't even play magic it's like they are just good at doing the thing they do Mm -hmm. and i i actually played magic and taught some of them the intricate parts of the rules of magic because they just wanted to learn more. Because they, they understood it as a programming language. And, you know, the ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. They didn't know the game. Yeah. You know, so the fact that these people were producing this and learning as they went along is amazing. Mm-hmm. Considering how fluid Arena is now. Yeah, occasionally it'll drop every once in a while or whatever. But it's pretty infrequent for a lot of people if you have a decent connection these days. Like, it's a pretty robust program for what it's trying to do. Yeah, I totally agree in terms of, unfortunately, perhaps the some of the louder voices are the dissenting voices or the, um, you know, negative Nelly voices. And I just think they're the louder ones, but I don't think they're the majority at all. And I think most people are happy that I can play Magic with people all over the world 24 hours a day. It's got a slick client. It's got all the cards in standard and expanding in historic and different sorts of modes. And yes, I wish it also had... XYZ, Commander, Pioneer, Modern, whatever, and we'll probably get there. But I think at what we're at in the short amount of time, relatively, I think we've got a very good way to play Magic that is a, that is a proud successor to definitely Magic Online and also the paper version. 
Yeah, I think people forget. Like we, when we play Magic, we're using, especially if you play Commander, like you're using 26 years worth of cards. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to program. Yes. Like to even get any percent of that is still a ton. You know, when you're talking even doing just four years, you know, worth of cards, that's still a lot, right? Yeah. So, and they're still working on putting the other cards out. And currently, Wizards is actually working with an outside studio, offload some of that work because it's just. Mm-hmm. so much to get where they want to go and i'll say this for arena too i think what they do right is it's appealing to people who wouldn't otherwise engage with magic mm-hmm. it's set up in a way that it's easy to understand it's flashy it's pretty mm-hmm. you know I, I i have people that i've met that they played magic kind of casually or it was too intimidating to learn and now there's this thing they can go on and they can do the tutorial and do the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. And you can get on and play games against Sparky to figure out if your deck yeah. works or not. Uh-huh. So it's actually doing a lot of things well. I mean, for as much as we want to detract from it, one of the things we say on our podcast a lot of times is you can come on and we can complain about something, but we do also give kudos when something yeah. is working correctly or doing something well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the biggest kudos to give them is that they rolled out the real person draft in in like lightning fast speed. They announced relatively recently, yeah, real people draft is coming. And then suddenly it happened April 15th. I agree. You know, I, I will say that for them, too. So far, for the most part, they've announced to the public like, hey, we are putting this on our roadmap. Mm-hmm. They seem to be hitting it within about 30 days, you know, of their target, which is pretty good when you consider... How often a lot of these other games have releases get pushed back. I mean, yeah. one of the things, just Magic as a product, I was having this conversation with somebody like two years ago. I was telling them, like, think about how many games we play, especially if you're talking about, like, you know, Diablo or whatever, you know, CSGO. You hear about the release dates. And they're like, oh, well, it's it's going to be next quarter now. <laughs> or, oh, it's going to be the beginning of the year. You know, and then before you know it, you're a year and a half, two years of after the initial you know announcement mm-hmm. but magic we haven't missed a release date hey, we're right now in isolation and there's a virus everywhere or whatever they still had stuff coming out on time yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i can't it's been well over a decade since they've missed a launch and you're talking about having to print something in 11 languages yeah in 70 different countries the product goes to mm-hmm. that's nuts like and they're and they're just not missing dates so i think that's one of those things we all take for granted you know you have studios that have their 50 people or whatever working on one game that's the only thing they're working on and they still miss it <laughs> and then you need uh, patch updates on day one exactly you, you don't even have the full game right you're still <laughs> downloading content yeah so we have a lot to be thankful for in magic i just uh, would hope people do take a step back and and take a moment to be thankful for it all because there there is a lot now yeah, definitely just have perspective is all yeah so in uh if you can do a little self-evaluation um what kind of skill level would you say you are in any form of magic uh beginning intermediate advanced somewhere in the middle I'm probably at this stage sitting between intermediate and advanced. I I believe there was a period where I would have qualified myself as an advanced player, mm-hmm. you know, having qualified for nationals, played on the pro tour a couple of times, you know, finished deep in some Star City events. But 
think as time has gone by, I've just been so distracted doing other things that I'm mm. now kind of like, well, I'll go play like weekly standard event at my local shop. You know, I'll I'll get on and build some goofy decks to entertain people on stream or something. <laughs> and I'm just approaching the game from a different perspective right now. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I still feel confident that if I were to go, I mean, I, you know, I recently won one of the last PTQs, if we're going to call them that, yeah. uh, you know, so I'm still comfortable going and spending my $20 or whatever and playing in a competitive event. But I just, I think to be advanced, I almost feel like people in that category tend to make success their goal. Yeah. And currently success isn't my goal. Like it might be my goal for a day, you know, like if I'm paying to go play in an event, but it's not part of my overarching goal. Yeah, especially the people that do have those aspirational goals that I want to get at the highest level. I want to make this my full-time job. I want to be uh, this as my income or have this the what defines me to play. So I think there's a bunch of levels, however, in terms of, well, I'm the most advanced one in my play group. And that's a great way to categorize oneself as, as well. But then when you look at the larger world of magic, one thing that I marvel is at that having arena at our fingertips is that you can play with people all over the world and you're going to see the best players day in day out if you get on that ladder or if you go in just like the free plays and so forth you'll, you're going to get then the variety of players at all levels and you can go have fun or you can go be competitive or you can do whatever you can do it however you want well, yeah I, I think it's interesting you mentioned that because i still remember the first experience i had when i went did a couple of like small tournaments like eight or ten people mm -hmm. you know locally when i first started playing but then we're like, okay, we found about a tournament out of town. And we're like, okay, well, let's go do this. And this is right <laughs> after like Ice Age came out. And I I thought I was creative because I had built this deck with Necropotence and whatever. Uh -huh. And I, I thought I was doing a thing. And I was and I was probably like the best player in our play group. Yeah. Then we go to this event and there's like three other Necropotence decks. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, then other people had already figured this out. Right. So then mm -hmm. I already started having the idea of, okay, well, there's just a lot of good players. Like, mm -hmm. I have to work harder if I'm going to try to come up with something to deal with that. So then, like, made the next evolution of the red-green deck that was good at the time for dealing with the Necro decks. Mm -hmm. Then I was reading, I think it was, like, Duelist Magazine at the time. It was, like, when the decks for, I think, Nationals that year came out, for some red-green decks, people were playing specifically to beat the Necro decks. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, man. You know, so start seeing how the minds of all these other people work. And it was like, okay. I'm I'm getting there, but I'm getting there behind everybody else. Yeah. I'm getting there ahead of people in my play group. Yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting kind of understanding where I was really in my skill level at that point in time. Yeah. Now that, that brings back memories because I used to, I, I was never reading The Duelist back then. I don't know why I didn't really know about it, but what I was reading was Inquest. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. And then there was also its alternative magazine, Scry. Uh, I actually wrote some articles for Scry magazine. <laughs> oh, really? Wow, cool. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the way I got into writing was pretty interesting. I had a friend who was working for uh, Pojo.com mm -hmm. that was mostly a Pokemon site. <laughs> and they're still operating right now. If you go there, they're kind of like the TCG player of articles, if you want to mm -hmm. call it that. They have a whole bunch of different games they represent on their site and they had something happen where i don't know if one of the writers bailed or something but mm. my buddy reached out to me and was like hey we're trying to do this magazine that's going to be half pokemon half magic because we're trying to expand the website mm. i know you know how to play magic are you interested when i was like 
yeah, sure. So I was like, what do you need? He's like, if you can give me like, you know, 100 to 1200 words on this thing. And I was like, sure, I can knock that out. Mm-hmm. Well, I get it to him. I didn't think anything of it. But they ended up sending me like a thank you gift with like a shirt and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, as they got that really jumping off on their website, had me writing on their weekly. So we do like card of the day stuff and, you know, write tournament reports and different things. And then it was like, okay, now this is becoming a thing. And then, you know, I got like a monthly reward or thing from them. And that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, uh, I got to know some of the writers and stuff with I and with a couple other different publications. And they're like, hey, you're doing stuff over there. Would you be interested in writing for Art Magazine? And because I had knowledge in a bunch of different games, I actually wrote articles for them, I think, for like uh, Hero Clicks, mm-hmm. BB Raw Deal, I think a U- couple of Yu Gi Oh articles. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of covered a lot of things for them, even outside of Magic. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I remember just consuming those magazines, but it's kind of cool to talk with someone that uh, after the fact, years later, you actually was connected to them. So thanks. That's pretty cool. Like I say, it's just an interesting time. You know, and the funny thing is I started out, I did the first one just kind of as a favorite, didn't think, think much of it. But mm-hmm. then time went on. It was like, started having to ask, okay, well, how much does it pay? <laughs> you know, I started really like this. Now that I'm trying to do them well, this is taking like real time. Like, yeah. It's funny how my how your perspective changes, you know, once it becomes a consistent thing. Yeah. Yeah. When it's a one off thing, it's fun, maybe a challenge and such. But then when it does take time that other things could be taking, then you want to know, is it is it worth it monetarily? Because we've all got to eat. For sure. And part of it is, too, you're giving up time to do other things, whether those other things are just fun and enrichment or if they're for actual monetary gains. It's it's actually kind of like my, my issue right now with the YouTube page, right? I had to decide, okay, if I want to do this, I'm going to go for the goal of actually getting it monetized if I'm yeah. putting this much time into it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I have to have a totally different goal of why I'm doing this, and then can I justify it? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, YouTube has set a pretty high bar uh, where back in the old days, anyone could be be making money off of their YouTube and then they put it at you need a hundred subscribers and then shortly after that they put it at a thousand so it's obviously attainable but it's not like it used to be where everyone just had that chance to to make money off of YouTube yeah I I think it's good for YouTube though because if you think about it from their perspective all the videos that get monetized get ads and everything else that they get to make money on right Mm -hmm. but people might have been putting videos up only had 10 subscribers maybe only had 20 hours total watched on their stuff technically they were still going to get paid even though they weren't really contributing to people coming to the website anymore yeah. you know i think that's what they're trying to break as far as like setting the new goals the way the algorithm works like we could almost do probably a whole show just talking about that honestly yeah <laughs> And we still wouldn't be able to answer it all because there's still some proprietary stuff behind the scenes, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, I think that's good, truthfully. I know I've had some people ask me, like, doesn't it bother you that you don't know all the details? And I said, no, not really, because if I did, then that means other people do. Yeah. They'd just be gaming the system and exactly. then they'd have to change it again. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good that there's some stuff that we don't know. 
Yeah, on the side, one of my side gigs is that I do work with SEO for for local companies and such. And that's the same thing that I tell them. Like they want to know, okay, what, what do we need to do to get on page one of the search results? And I said, if you know what that is, so do the spammers, so do the hackers, whoever. Everyone's going to know it so they don't reveal all of what you need to do for proper SEO. But there are various tasks and tactics to do as a you know, legitimate business. And I can definitely see that in YouTube as well, that if everyone knew how to get to the trending page, well, everyone's going to do it. And therefore everyone's going to get flooded out and all these bad actors are going to jump in. Yep. Yeah. One thing I will say, like for anybody listening, if you're thinking about doing main content on YouTube, understand one thing, YouTube is owned by Google. That means that SEO search results, like, that is paramount. If you keep that in mind on how to make yourself found and like visible through making your stuff easily searchable, that's number one more than anything else. Mm -hmm. I think that's good advice in terms of, once again, like you said earlier about the stream in terms of uh, what are you doing unique? Are you, are you, are you acting like this is, no matter if there's one person or 50 that they're the most important person there so when you go off and do your youtube channel you've got to you've got to go all in to it enough that it is worthwhile that you're getting what you need out of it and that your p potential viewers are getting what they need out of it definitely definitely and some of it is just over time you find your voice in creating all this content whether it's affecting your writing style that people like finding a way to speak to people like on YouTube, as an example, I've had somebody directly just say in the comments, like, like coming to your channel because just really chill and relax. <laughs> and and that's my personality. Like I'm, I go out of my way to make sure people understand. I'm not, if I get animated because something really cool just happened, I'm not just going to be selling you on like fake excitement. It's <laughs> just not who I am. I'm not going to get on and yell. And like, even when I'm mad about something, don't get on there and just like complain about the thing. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about all the facts and why it led to me being Know, disappointed in this thing mm -hmm. that's what works for me you know and you're going to attract a certain audience that way the same way some people you know want to be angry want to use foul language want to use yeah. ashy overlays or whatever it is like everybody's got their own thing it just takes <laughs> you a time to find it mm -hmm. well let me ask you in the in what we have to play with in standard on Arena at the moment, there's uh, when I last checked, there were about 1,800 cards in standard. Is there one or two or so that stand out to you as your favorite at the moment? Oh, absolutely. If anybody who follows me on stream hears this, they're, they're going to know. But <laughs> it, I, I would say for a while, it was probably Gruel Spellbreaker. Huh. Like, big, big fan of the card. I play a lot of Gruel. Matter of fact, is becoming one of the most searched things and viewed things on my YouTube page, which is hilarious. Like mm. it's carried over. But most recently, the new Vivian, uh, Vivian Monsters Advocate. Mm. Like I am a big fan of that card. I like everything it does. It it has a lot of abilities. It has a lot of cool ways it can be used. Fits into different types of decks. So I mm. think as the format settles, you're going to see some different people like squeezing that in the decks, and it's going to be very very cool. Mm -hmm. How do you compare her to the triple green mana Vivian? Because this one's only got uh, double green, right? Correct. Uh, it does, and I think this one costs five mana, whereas the triple green costs four mana. Hmm. 
So you're getting kind of better results maybe from this newest Vivian. Do you ever like put um, a bunch of Vivians in one deck or do you kind of uh, put one or two that really synergize with the whole deck? I have considered a version of, of Gruul that did have two different Vivians in there. But no, really, it's about just playing that one. Because what it's doing for that style of deck in particular is that it's letting you catch up without having to play a lot of different card drawing cards. Because those aren't generally that good for Gruul. Because it's not letting you lean forward and keep bashing your opponent. Mm -hmm. But it allows you to play creatures off the top of your library, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a version of Gore right now that's built with a lot of haste creatures. So if you use her minus ability, even after your opponent swept the board, there have been times I've been like, oh, cool, I've got a questing beast. All right, I'll minus two Vivian, a questing beast, go search through and get a Gruel Spellbreaker, and I'm still attacking for seven. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really filling some gaps that those decks have needed for a while, I think. <laughs> it's a very subtle card, too, because I think it's one of those ones been on during the early access event i think people looked at it and went oh well this seems interesting but i don't know what to do with this card yeah i think the problem is it's not as painfully obvious on how to use all the things on it you kind of have to build with it in mind now, and i will say this people have asked me that compared to uh the five mana nissa that everybody's been playing yeah mm -hmm. like what which one would i play and i told them it's really a matter of if i can utilize the mana i want nissa if I'm not really going to be taking advantage of the mana, I just want the new Vivian. Mm -hmm. The reason being is Vivian just makes three threes, whereas Nessa requires you to put your lands at risk. Yeah. And I can also go search for additional creatures and get make other things happen with the new Vivian that I can't do with Nessa. Yeah, I think Nessa's gotten to like, you know, mythic proportions, pun intended, but she's gotten to a level where like it's an auto included fields even though sometimes people don't pilot that nissa deck as well as they could and it just feels so good when they animate those lands and then i use my uh my destroy creature spell on those lands they've put so much investment into getting that nissa out making it into a living land but then it's susceptible to removal whereas uh new vivian she's making those three threes and you're just plus is it plus one or plus two every time you use new uh, vivian? plus one every time so even with just a plus one, you're you're getting a three three, which then you can give it that reach. What is it? Reach, trample, or, or vigilance. Or vigilance. So you you're making creatures with your first outlay of investment of uh, five mana with that Vivian, and you can um, be setting yourself up for a good like uh, go white strategy, perhaps as well. Oh yeah, definitely. And one mm -hmm. of the things too, I will say, I think this is a good example of how people can walk themselves into a trap when deck building. I think. People will start building a deck and then go, oh, well, I, I know this card's good, so I'm going to mm -hmm. put that in the deck. Yeah, It's like, well, yeah, it is a good card, but is it really doing something you need or is it taking up space for a potentially better card in this deck? Mm -hmm. now, it's, it's a weird time to be playing Magic, especially Standard, because we have so many good cards available. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember a time where like a set comes out, a path, you know, let's look seven eight years ago you look at all the rares and mythics and go like oh well most of these i could envision a way where i could play these mm -hmm. so usually you'd look at a set and be like well like half of them you'd be like yeah i'm probably never gonna play that <laughs> but something like ikoria we've already been seeing a lot of the cards get used you know? so this, this is kind of an exciting time so I'll just necessarily say this card's good and i just have to shove it into a deck it's yeah. like well explore some of the other things because those things you're not really paying attention to might be a better fit 
Yeah, and we're so early in the format as we record this that it hasn't been solved yet, and people are still brewing and experimenting, and even that, you know, a fun jank or meme deck might actually turn out to be something like, you know, Cat Oven was. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that was another example where when cards got overlooked, became a deck, people are like, oh, that's probably not a real thing. And now it's been a staple of the format for months. Yeah. Well, speaking of staples, um, you're, you, you seem to be leaning towards Gruel. Is there any deck that, uh, you know, can you tell us about a deck that you've put together, the totality of it that you're enjoying during uh, Arena at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's really, like I said, the Gruel deck has been probably my favorite. And it's it's a haste-based Gruel deck. Uh, it plays as Pelt Collector, also mm. has uh, Robber of the Rich, Leah, hmm. Urtai Goblin, Full Spellbreaker, Testing Beast, and depending on what day of the week it is, might have five costs Vivian in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been really good. I played it up to Mythic this season, mm-hmm. and it's entertaining for people to come watch because it's not just watching somebody play some really slow control deck. Yeah. Well, they get to see me play it against a lot of things, though. Uh, earlier today, I was working on a cycling deck hmm. by Coria. Uh, it's just a guy colors, and I have to say this: I think people miss put some mislabels on their decks quite a few. Because I went and looked at earlier today, because I was like, well, let me see what other ideas people are already doing. Because I don't want to like reinvent the wheel. I'm working on something. Hmm. If somebody has a decent starting point, I'll just start from there, and you know, then make changes. I saw a lot of decks that were labeled "Just Guy Cycling," and I was like, okay, cool. Then I go look at it. I was like, no, this is just a control deck with like hmm. walkers and stuff or whatever that has like in cycling cards. That's that's not a cycling deck. Hmm. You know, like, it's just being efficient because you're a control deck. Yeah. No, think... this one's pretty fun. It plays a lot of the low to ground, low to the ground stuff. Uh, it's got ways to make a lot of tokens hmm. because you have the new. I don't remember the new name. The three one that you can cycle when you cycle it makes a one one token. And then I also play it with the card from. I believe is from Theros. Might not be correct, but it's the red blue enchantment that when you draw your second card for the turn, you make a one one fairy. I think that's from Eldrain, the one uh, with oh, the that art. Is. The you're art right. is a guy holding a lantern with a fairy in it. Exactly, you're right. It is <laughs> is from Eldrain. That fits perfectly in there since you're doing all the extra cycling. Yeah, and, and I think the deck plays. I think twenty. Last version had twenty cycling cards in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very very fun. It's been. I'll have that video up probably like, uh, well, by the time this goes live, it'll be at least a week ago. Mm. So (laughs) they can find it on my YouTube page. Very nice. Maybe even by the time they watch it, it's evolved into something even, even more interesting. Hope so. I hope mm-hmm. so. That's the great thing, isn't it? That like maybe we create a, an article or a video, we create a deck, we create a concept, and then as we keep playing it, and it, it might evolve, and that could be content for like a part two or a version two of it all. It's funny, you know. I actually do that on my YouTube page. As the season goes on, I'll go back and revisit decks, mm-hmm. and I'll usually give an explanation of that. Okay, well, now that the format has shifted this way, these cards are now better to play in the list versus these other cards. I have some people that come back just to see it because I'll label it even on my videos version two or version three or whatever of mm-hmm. that season. So it's easy for people to keep them apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something people don't really pay attention to is build one deck and go, okay, this is what I'm just going to play for this season and it's going to always be the best deck. And it's like, well, no, no. right now, yeah. because we live in a world with both 
Magic Online and Magic Arena, formats move at lightning speed because there's people playing all day long that are iterating on decks all day long. Yeah. And I've had times where I've played a person during one of my streams on, say, Monday, and by the time we play again on a Thursday or Friday, both of our decks have changed <laughs> because we've run into so many different things and we've probably each played another, and by then, probably 30 more matches or whatever yeah. you know, as the formats evolved. So it's it's very interesting to see how fast things move online. Yeah. And we also have the ability to go check up on other people's articles or just follow people that we like on Twitter and just keep up to date and keep iterating on on this grand puzzle of, of decks. Well, absolutely. There And there are coming players that are known as just these are deck building experts. Yeah. You know, these people are constantly in the lab coming up with stuff. And people look to them. And it's funny because if you follow them on social media, like an example... Uh, two that I can think of off the top of my head are Crokey's. It's a lot of attention. And Yo Man 5. So those two, like, they are constantly, even when the season comes out, I think Yo Man 5 just puts up an article or a link to a page. It's just like, here's 20 deck lists I came up with <laughs> you know, in the last four days. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you follow them, you kind of know when you start seeing people play certain decks, you're like, oh, they're playing one of these that and so put out you know a couple days ago yeah so it's really interesting even if you're not going to play the decks just knowing that they exist will be a benefit to you yeah so then that way you know what you're up against and maybe you'll have some answers when you inevitably run into them for sure you know and it's funny because this came up on my stream last night i, I was I did a two part i guess i did seven eight hours of streaming yesterday <laughs> i was one of wizards uh featured content creators for the week mm. and they were featuring me on thursday so i went in started playing and at one point i had two people in the chat saying oh well you don't have to worry about this card because they don't play that in those lists anymore and i'm like well there's a lot of ways these can be built so i'm gonna go ahead and play around this just in case yeah like no i saw the list the other day that so-and-so put out. i was like yeah but you know how fast things change and then sure yeah. enough literally the next turn opponent played the storm's wrath that i was yeah. worried about and i was like see and this is why i do what i do yeah <laughs> like, evolution happens exactly you have to think of all of these eventualities absolutely well that segues us into have there been any cool or weird or interesting funny moments that you've had on arena that come to mind yes uh, and i actually recorded it i clipped it i think you can see the highlight on my page mm -hmm. but i also put a video up on youtube where i mulligans to four <laughs> and one. Oh wow it was the first time i've had that happen digitally i've had it happen once i've had it happen twice in paper mm -hmm. that was the first time i've had it happen online and it wasn't even like our opponent didn't draw anything because that wouldn't you know i wouldn't be that excited about that sure, but yeah. four cards we actually played a real game you know and i won on like it was like turn eight or something it was like mm -hmm. Super surprising. Like, it was super awesome. What was the deck that you had to mulligan down to? I was playing, I believe I was playing Rakdos uh, Aggro. Mm. Night heavy, but yeah, a Rakdos Aggro deck. Mm -hmm. So then I guess it was just a lot of, like, little pings here and there to get them within striking distance? I think my hand, I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say it was, like, two land, Fervent Champion, and some other knight. It, it mm. might have been a... Stormfist Crusader might have been it. Okay, yeah. But, yeah. And just somehow 
one of them lived long enough for me to get the third creature, and then we were just <laughs> off to the races. So yeah. it, was, it was pretty pretty exciting. That's a testament to creating the to crafting the deck in terms of the mana investment. Yeah, you had to mulligan down to four, but as long as you hit that third land, you were probably going to be able to play most of the cards in the deck, right? Yeah, and I, and I think that's a thing people forget about sometimes when you're mulliganing. I, I it's a whole other discussion <laughs> too on just how to mulligan because see a lot of people go oh well i have three lands so i'm gonna keep it i was like well yeah but you have the wrong color lands or even if you get to turn three like nothing in your hand is gonna impact the the game state like yeah and then they were like i don't understand how i'm losing and i was like well but you're keeping these awful hands like might as well have mulligan to six because that hand didn't really do anything anyway yeah Mm mm-hmm So that sounds like a little bit of free advice, which is what I was going to ask you. If you're a little bit more towards intermediate, intermediate plus and such, what sort of advice would you give to beginning players? Because we seem to be getting a lot more players because Arena lets people play Magic a lot easier. So what would you tell them as they join us in the greatest game? Uh, I probably have two two bits of advice. One for beginners would say, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like magic is a vast game at this point. You're, there are very few things you're going to take on that have the amount of information and the amount of rules and just the history and everything that goes with magic when you start. And it's a lot to absorb. I mean, basically, every one of the, I don't know what it is now, like, you know, 50, 80,000 different magic cards <laughs> you know, is, is basically its own individual thing you have to learn about. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot so just take your time you know be patient they'll come together yeah. you you you're gonna keep seeing things that are new to you i mean there are people that have been playing for 20 years that still see things that are new to them yeah there's still rules that they get wrong and then remember that even the best players in the world when playing people of equivalent skill level only have like a 61 percent in percentage yeah they're the best in the world <laughs> like you're not gonna win every time it's okay mm-hmm the more advanced players, I wouldn't say to advance. I think it, I think once you're truly at the advanced level, like you, you start learning what works for you or not. I would say probably for the intermediate players, ones that are grinding a lot, going to PTQs, trying to make it to that next level. You no, know, really, I guess for them, I have two bit, two bits of advice. Understand that not everybody is a is everybody's not absorbing the game the same way you are. Mm-hmm. There are some people that go to an FNM, they want to build a meme deck. That's their one night to play, to get away from work, get away from the family and the kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that's their time. And they're not worried about playing perfectly. And they're not worried about playing a top tier deck. And when they go 2-2, they're excited. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's okay. Like There's room for those people to exist. Like I get it. You're probably there practicing trying to prepare for the PTQ on Saturday or whatever it is. Like that person's not, and that's fine. Like just encourage them to keep playing because those people playing, those people buying cards, supporting your local stores, are like they're the reason you're gonna get to keep doing what you're doing. If you mm-hmm. make it to the top level, you've chased all these people away along the way, <laughs> there's gonna be less money there for you to even be eligible to win because mm-hmm. those people aren't contributing to the prize pool anymore. Yeah. So definitely take care, culture the or care to treat the community properly on the way to the top like that's that's the first thing the other is 
And this probably goes for a lot of players, but particularly that group of players, is you need to have some humility. Hmm. Understand that you're not often as good as you think you are. You have to analyze game states and just say, okay, what could I have done better? You know, but, and, and always start with like, was it me or was it actually the deck? And really yeah. understand to pick that apart. That's how you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. I have a fun story, actually. I, I might have wrote an article about this way back on Pojo, actually, too. Hmm. But I remember being at a PT, or actually, you know, we were at a Grand Prix. I see these players pass by. This guy's just griping about, oh, I would have beat my opponent, and I played perfectly, and somehow they still beat me, and this hmm. game's stupid. <laughs> then I actually started thinking, like, how hard is it to play a game or match of Magic perfectly? Yeah. Because if you think about it, like, there's there's a decision tree. At some point, you're going to make a decision that is not the optimal decision. And that, and that means any little thing you do that does not account for a certain card, that whether it's in your opponent's deck or not, you don't know that 100%. Like, once you no longer do that, you're on the wrong end of the decision tree, right? Mm-hmm. And it's broken. Yeah. But I went around and I started asking pro players. I asked, like, Shuhei. I asked Blur, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of people that I either knew or knew adjacent that I could go and ask. I said... Mm-hmm. How many matches of Magic do you believe you've played perfectly? <laughs> I think I, I asked 10 or 12 people. Several of them there said zero. I'd be surprised if anybody gave you a non-zero answer. <laughs> now, Shuei actually came over and he said, maybe one, <laughs> possibly two, right? And Shuei is considered one of the best ever, yes. right? And I'm thinking, okay, if this guy thinks he's played less than three perfect matches of Magic, there's no way the rest of us, like random Joes, have actually played perfect magic. And then the craziest thing, a couple hours later, he comes and taps me on the shoulder. He says, maybe none. And then just walks <laughs> off. <laughs> like, you know, so if these guys aren't playing perfectly, what makes you think that you're playing perfectly every single time you sit down? And that's the Don't part of wrong, what you said as well, the humility of it, that he came back and said, well, actually, probably zero. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. Like, even players at that level understand going, like, he probably thought about it throughout the day because I asked him. He said, man, I don't know, maybe none, right? Yeah. Even for myself, I can think of maybe one instance that it <laughs> might have happened. Even then, I don't, I'm not even 100% sure that it was. It probably wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so many variables and factors. Yeah, each little card is its own decision tree, which leads to something else. And then if you're not even also putting your opponent's deck into your equation, then you've only got half half the equation and you might not even get to that perfect game. But that's okay. You don't have to do the perfect game to still win or to reach the goal that you're trying to reach, whether it's to get better or simply play for fun or top eight or whatever. Agreed. And I think that's something that people that went through that big poker boom learned to understand. Well, if they were good at poker, they learned to understand. You can't be results oriented necessarily. Mm-hmm. I have won. I've even been on stream and the chat. I was like, man, we won that, but I don't think I deserve to win. I made <laughs> two major mistakes and somehow got lucky and got there. Mm-hmm. You know, understand that because you're winning doesn't mean you're playing your best. And because you're losing doesn't mean you're not playing your best. Yeah. Like sometimes things just don't go your way. Like sometimes your opponent outplays you. I mean, like you can still be doing really well and just lose. And there's sometimes you could be doing poorly and you know, your opponent floods out and yeah. you just have your one creature that does the last 10 points of damage. That just happens. You pull that miracle off, uh, card off right off the top of your deck. Yeah, I've, I've made top eight at some events 
and I've looked at my deck afterwards and went, man, I have no idea how the hell this happened. <laughs> and then I didn't do well with it for the next three weeks. And yeah. I was like, well, I guess I just got lucky that day, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, through like more data is when you can really kind of see the truth, not just sort of like uh, one-off results. Absolutely. You know, I, I one of the things I like to do at the end of my streams is we open, well, a particular program called MTGA Tool. It tracks all your results and, you know, everything else you're doing. We can talk about like, okay, decks are we beating or not beating? What changes should we make or whatever? And Early in the season, I always tell people like, well, yeah, we're only talking about 15 matches, so we can't read into this too much. Mm-hmm. But as we get toward the end of the season and we've got 150 matches played with a deck, it's like, okay, now that's a real sample size I can yeah. get information from and start doing stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Shifting gears a little bit, um, is there anything that comes to mind about how you'd like to improve magic, whether it's the game itself, it's magic arena, it's the community, it's the company, any sort of like room for improvement? Ooh, let's see where to start. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, really some of it I think starts with community is understanding that magic is serving a lot of masters. Mm-hmm. And if for any reason something actually let's use the most recent one actually the godzilla thing right like people saw the godzilla cards and that's been so polarizing for people <laughs> yeah people are so angry that for some reason there's a mecha godzilla in their magic fantasy art and it's upsetting them and it's like yeah. but why like you can just play with a regular one and it's totally okay mm-hmm. like, there are people that genuinely got excited because they saw the godzilla stuff yeah mm-hmm. there are people who sent me messages because they're like hey are these cards real you know because they're like godzilla fans and now they're trying to find a way to buy them and collect yeah. them mm-hmm. so they they may not ever play magic but at least they're contributing money to the pool to support magic companies yeah because <laughs> these are out there so there's a benefit to it not everything is always going to be for each of us as individuals mm-hmm. i think people have to understand that that there are things like for me, as an example, I'm not a big Godzilla fan. I watched the most recent Godzilla movie, and I thought that one was cool. Generally, I'm not that entertained by him. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at a Godzilla card and go like, oh, my God, that's it. It's the end of the world. What are we doing? <laughs> yes. so, mm-hmm. It's totally fine. Like, But there's things that are going to happen where people play like competitive commander, right? Yeah. It's not a thing I will ever do. I think it's a somewhat odd way to play commander because that's totally against the reason commander exists. Yeah, but there is a community for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to look at those people and say like, "Oh, y'all are crazy." This is supposed to be a casual thing, and but like, yeah, you know what? If they find other people of the same mindset and they want to enjoy it, hey, that's totally okay. I'm not going to, as they say, I'm not going to yuck somebody else's yum. Yeah. You know, let them enjoy it. It's not harming me in any way. Mm-hmm. You know, go for it. Mm-hmm. I totally as agree. Far as- There's a little bit of everything yeah. for everyone. Everyone can get what they need out of the game, whether it's the serious badass art or like something goofy like the secret layers i love those like uh those goblin cards in the uh inks what was it explosion sounds the one that it was all oh, yeah, goblins yeah. that was fun and then like the omg kitties like yeah for some people that's like the worst affront to magic that something was that cute but for other people it was amazing and and they loved it and the same thing with the godzilla it's like well they're still officially called 
you know, Yadaro wandering, whatever. But if you want the Godzilla Death Inevitable, whatever it's called, yeah, get that, get that extra variant of it. But it's still the original card with the original wording found on Gathering. So magic, something for everyone. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. I think you know when the game's been around this long, you're gonna have people that you know they they only play want to play ninety three ninety four magic. Yeah, <laughs> like that. That's what they want to do. That's the way they learned it. That's the way they want to play it. There's gonna be people who never want to play Commander, even though it's the most popular ways to play Magic. Like there's gonna be people who never want to touch it. Right? Yeah. There's there was a guy I I had to apologize or I wanted to apologize. To, uh, one of the pro players because he had posted a thing I responded to somebody else on his uh, Twitter feed and then that guy just went off like he just hmm. hated standard and the way it plays and blah blah and it's not good for me and blah. I was like yeah but obviously a lot of people are enjoying standard right now right like there's there's a lot of good decks and you know it may not be what you want right now but that's not necessarily a bad thing like sometimes what I want isn't the best for the thing yeah you know, I I've many years believe that fans of products whether it's magic football star wars whatever sometimes some of the problem that once a thing isn't 100 percent the way it was when i started liking it mm-hmm. for some reason it's bad yeah and it doesn't necessarily hold true like it could be different and just appeal to more people now May yeah. it may appeal to you less. But if they're being more successful with it and they're generating a, a whole new generation of fans or whatever or more revenue, it's meeting all of its goals. Like mm-hmm. it just may not be for you anymore. And it's there's really still hard always you... the original aspect. No one's taking away your memories, no one's taking your original copy of whatever. Oh, yeah. It's still there. That's exactly where I was going. Like the new Ghostbusters had come out, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this and yeah. blah, blah, my childhood. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. dude, that movie still exists. Like, yeah. you can just go watch it. Like, both of them are cool movies. Go mm-hmm. have fun, right? Exactly. Honestly, I thought the new one was kind of funny anyway. I enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. it was appealing to somebody different. And mm-hmm. that's okay. They were just using the franchise, reaching out. They were putting women first. Yeah. And honestly, the women all performed very well. Yeah. In fact, the guy that played Thor, uh, Helmsworth, yeah. like, was funny in that. And mm-hmm. he was like the side character. Yeah. You know, he didn't, he wasn't the main one. And it, and it all worked. So, I mean, if somebody would have really gave it time, it, it's fine. It was just appealing to different people. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that part, fixing the community, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the, the other thing I would say is now that we're in this world where Wizards products don't have MSRP. Mm-hmm. There's several reasons for that, but you know, they, they don't have MSRP anymore. I think they just need to make sure they're just not quoting a price any longer. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what starts a lot of these discussions and these these eight-field situations that you see people commenting on. Most recently, I talked to, talked about it on my stream and on my YouTube page about the Secret Lair Ultimate Edition with mm-hmm. the new uh, fetch lands. Yes. People were upset because they're seeing these $300, $400 price tags on it. Mm-hmm. But it's a super limited thing. And that's what happens with limited things, whether it's technology, whether it's shoes, whether it's magic cards. Like, they're, they're always going to be worth more. The problem was, when Blake did his interview with the professor, came out and said, well, they'll probably, we expect them to sell around $165. Yeah. 
Well, the minute yeah, they're he, not he, ne- he never said any. He never said any price. He just said it was a little bit higher than X Y Z product, and people inferred that it was going to be around one hundred and sixty. Oh, he actually said that. Oh, did he? he actually I thought gave he was saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought he had said more like, yeah. "Well, it's going to be a little bit more than our last masters or whatever." Uh, but if and, he, and that was yeah. the problem because I think yeah. if he went your route and he just said, "Well, you know, since we don't have MSRP, we're assuming yeah. this would be just." Know, it'll be a valuable desired product so mm-hmm. it'll probably have a high price tag and just leave it at that mm-hmm. and when they come out at 300 bucks people are like man that's expensive but you know we'll just be mad there's not more of them in the world yeah but because they quoted that price i saw people like bashing local game stores they were upset at star city and you know just like why though yeah. <laughs> like they didn't do this but I think it really starts from them quoting a price. Like, if we're going to say there's no MSRP, just don't say a price. Mm-hmm. I think that'll solve a lot of those arguments. Because otherwise, we just get people complaining, and it's like the complaint of the day, and it's just negativity out there for no reason that we just don't need. Yeah. There's plenty of other more pressing things and tangible things uh, to take our attention. And just to be mad at some cardboard, I think that's uh, that's a little too far. Oh, for sure. There are definitely big, even within the world of magic, there are bigger issues than I can't afford the rare thing. And now I'm mad. Yeah. Like, you know, like there, there are many better things we could, we could focus on. That's a perfect segue to the flip side of this discussion. What is something that you love about magic? Any aspect of it? Yeah, I would say the support systems you see for people especially right now Mm -hmm. people going through a lot of different type of stressful things whether it's job or anxiety about just the virus and everything happening Mm -hmm. or you know in a lot of ways you know a lot of content creators aren't able to go and produce content right now some of them worked at a studio that they can't do that anymore personally had I've interviews lined up with game store owners because I'm doing, I had started a series I was going to do of interviews on my YouTube page so people could see like the business side of, of the game industry. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I'm not doing those right now. Yeah. Uh, and I had three events I was going to work. One of them I was going to do commentary at, and mm-hmm. those were all canceled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are all business opportunities that are gone. But people are reaching out and saying like, hey, what can I do to like get word out about your products? You know, you have a Patreon I could support. I'll send people to your stream or whatever it is, you know, and I see people just posting like, man, I'm having a rough day and see 20 posts just like trying to cheer somebody up or saying like, hey, come join us. We're doing this chat online, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's all because these people made these connections from magic, whether it's from hearing podcasts, us playing, going to tournament road trips together. Mm -hmm. It's interesting just to see how vast the network is. And I think Sometimes people can get caught up in these little the minutiae of everything. I realize like, yeah, you're only still here and doing this. Even though you're saying you're mad about everything, you still enjoy it enough to come hang out. So there's <laughs> obviously more positives than negatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time even grasping the people that complain all the time. Like if this makes you that upset, why are you still here? Because yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything if it made me that upset on a daily basis. Just wouldn't. I don't. It's it's not in my headspace to even worry about it. Yeah, 
I wonder that as well. Like, how can some channels or personalities or whatever like just be constant negativity and well why are you why are you here why do you keep subjecting yourself to such negativity and keep regurgitating it into the world why don't you go enjoy the thing that you do like and make positive content on what you do like yeah because the other side of that is the only thing i could think is if this is the thing that really makes you that upset and that you feel the need to complain about like the rest of your life must be pretty awesome (laughs) like this is the thing, right? There's all these other problems in the world and all these other things people are dealing with, but like you're complaining about damn those sacrifice decks and standard, you know, like, <laughs> like the, the, the witch's oven should be banned or whatever, right? <laughs> That's the crusade you're taking out. Like, okay. You know, like we have a podcast that is promoting people that, of you know, of diverse backgrounds or whatever, and you get downvoted on Reddit. And I post those. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I posted one, and and it wasn't even we didn't even cover that topic. We were particularly talking about suicide awareness because uh, for people that don't know, there's a really cool event in Texas called the Hunter Burton Memorial Open, mm-hmm. and it's it's named for a magic player who had taken his own life several years ago, mm-hmm. and some friends and his family started this tournament, and it's become a big event now. Like. Even Wizards this year was giving invites to the players tour and everything else. Like it's it's a real to do. So we had the one of the organizers on. We were talking about it, you know, sharing information about the event and how people can take care of themselves, this, that, and the other. Like even that got some down votes on Reddit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, what's wrong with you people? Like, you know. Yeah. And and I and I don't like stare at it, but I'll check it like every couple of days. And it's like, oh, it's up to like six up votes. And you see it the next day, it's like, oh, it's at two now. Oh, it's at five. Oh, it's at three. Mm-hmm. Like, like who's downvoting something about suicide awareness? You know? Yeah. But there's some people that in their headspace, because of what we do, are automatically going to downvote it every time yeah. they see it. And I'm just like, those people exist in the world. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to you're not going to please those people no matter what you do. Yeah. And unfortunately, the anonymity of online existence that I can hide behind something that doesn't expose me and therefore I can go hog wild in terms of negativity because no one's going to know who I really am in real life and they have that sort of license to be annoying people and uh, spread some of that negativity. Most definitely. And it's one of those things I just choose not to worry about. Like, mm-hmm. understand that they're there. Uh, they're At the end of the day, they're not really going to affect our bottom line because it's not somebody we're worried about, right? Like they've got their mind made up. Mm-hmm. And I have several messages, emails, you know, from people. One was from a soldier. He he was actually from the Northwest, actually. He was from Tacoma, he said. Mm-hmm. And he's listened to us over there. And he's like, man, these are totally things I deal with, even being over here in the military, you know. Mm-hmm. There's been people who are just average white guys playing Magic. And they've sent messages saying, like, I don't even know if I'm your target audience, but I'm glad mm-hmm. you're doing this because... I didn't even know these were things that happened, mm-hmm. you know? So still having a positive impact despite all of that. Yeah. So you can't really worry about it. You know, you just speak to your target audience, get your information out there. As long as we're staying positive and doing what we think is the right thing to do, we can't really worry about it too much. Yeah, and I think it you get what you you get back what you put into it. So if you're putting out some good thoughts, some good vibes, some good content, you're going to get it back as well. Definitely, definitely. 
Well, we've done a lot of talking about magic so far, a lot of uh, about the greatest game of all, but apparently there are other hobbies that exist in the world. Is there any other hobby besides magic that you're into? It's blasphemy. You know, it's magic or nothing. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I Actually, I'm one of those people that I have gone through a lot of phases in life where mm-hmm. I have learned things just for the sake of learning them. Mm-hmm. Which I, which is funny, because in hindsight, I think I did that a lot at a younger age. Didn't really think about it that way, like I do as an as an adult. But my family was, I get into a thing and I start getting good at it, and they're like, "Oh, you're going to be X Y Z because you picked up this thing." I'm like, "Oh no, I just wanted to read these books or whatever." Yeah. I, you know, like I didn't didn't have any interest in being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. I was just curious how long it took to go to school to be a doctor. Mm. I found out it was a ton, and then you had to do clinicals and whatever. And I'm like, "I'm out. I don't want to yeah. be a doctor." Mm. <laughs> You know, I I learned stage magic, stage magic for a while. Mm. That was the thing I picked up. Learned some different card tricks. Bought some of the tools for it that they call gaffs. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that was just because I was curious. You know, I just wanted to know some of this work or what are the principles to how these things work. Which for me has been awesome because now I see the evolution of that craft. Mm-hmm. There's things I see people doing that I know fundamentally how it should be done, or the ways that we figured it could be done. And they're doing something insanely impossible to me. So, like, you know, I can only imagine to somebody who has no idea how it works, it's Mm. even more impressive. So, like, that's been fun. Mm. But I've also played disc golf. I got into that for a while. Hmm. That's been pretty fun. Uh, I, I raised chickens. We have six chickens at the house. Wait, let me let me uh, let me pause right here. This this is serendipity because the very last person I interviewed for the podcast mentioned that they've also been getting into disc golf, and the person two podcasts ago mentioned that they started to raise chickens as well. So funny. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I I learned a lot about uh, falconry because my wife is a falconer. She's been oh. doing it since she was a teenager. So I went through a couple of years of just reading up on that stuff and learning it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I have a lot of things I kind of do just casually, you know, just, I think it's a good thing to not be too invested in any one hobby. Mm-hmm. One, cause it's just, there's so much in the world to know about and to learn Yeah, that to just pick up something else. Even if you're not doing it heavily just for a short amount of time, even if it's just a few months or one year just to learn something else. The other thing, too, I think maybe, you know, like we we're talking about, some of these people get bitter and angry or whatever with mm-hmm. the game or the environment it might be because they're wholly invested in it mm-hmm. and they don't they're losing perspective that everything is about this all the time. And if it, if I can't enjoy it, then like, how do I enjoy how do I how am I happy? You know, because one thing I enjoyed the most, it changed and now I can't have it the way I want it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good thing to have other hobbies. But yeah, I do I do a few different things. Very nice. It sounds like you've dabbled in a lot of things. And I think it's just kind of good advice how you're saying about just try different things. Life is short. There's so much to do in the world. And you never know. You might be dabbling in something that you make it even more part of your life or even a career. Or And, you never, and if you never tried it, then you never knew how much you would have liked it. You know, I think one of the places that originates for me was my upbringing, because I was very lucky that though I came from a small town, for whatever reason, my neighborhood had people from all different parts of the world. I mean, I had like a German family that lived on one side of me, you know, Mm -hmm. Hispanic family that lived on the other side. There was a Filipino family that lived on the corner, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so I grew up with just people of all these different cultures and they all different things. They ate different things. Mm -hmm. 
or different, you know, I did, I never thought it was weird to go to somebody's house and be like, oh, well, if I'm hanging out with me, who's, you know, half Thai, half Vietnamese, like, he's going to have certain food at his house, right? Yeah. If I go to Filipino friend's birthday party, like, there's going to be different cultures and rituals that they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that carried over to me for other things as well in life that, oh, there's a thing I don't know about. Let me go read up on it or let me go try that out you know it's especially when it's low cost other than just time yeah i don't have anything else i'm like well yeah let's go do it that's mm-hmm. why i feel bad for people that are picky eaters because man i think <laughs> eating is one of the easiest and most interesting ways to learn about people's culture mm-hmm. like, i'm a big fan of i will try almost any food my only rule is it has to smell decent enough to get into my face that's it yeah. uh-huh. otherwise i'll give it a shot like, mm-hmm. and even if I don't like it, at least then I know I don't like it, right? Sure. I even tried durian ice cream once because I realized, like, that's probably the only way I'm going to get durian into my face because <laughs> everybody I know just tells me about how awful it yeah. smells. Uh-huh. Like, it was very dulled down with the ice cream. Now, granted, yeah. it was still not the most pleasant eating experience I've ever had. And <laughs> by not very pleasant, it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I at least was able to try it. Now I know I don't like durian flavored ice cream. <laughs> Well, that, I was about to ask then, what would be like something that was the most interesting that you have had to eat if you are pretty adventurous in that respect? Uh, yeah, I so said like durian ice cream was pretty high on the list. Um, I don't know. I don't find too many things strange. I mean, I especially growing up in the South and, you know, having gone to Louisiana several times and, mm-hmm. you know, have a lot of friends and family that are either farmers or hunters or whatever. So, I mean, I've had, I mean... I feel bad. I know there's a lot of vegans that are probably going to hate me, but like <laughs> eating like alligator, squirrel, mm-hmm. like raccoon. I mean, like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I don't know. I, I, I there's a lot of that. I've, you know, and I've also eaten like bugs and stuff that people yeah. have prepared, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I'm one of those people that I'd probably do okay on one of the adventure shows or whatever. Yes. Like, you know, naked and afraid or something. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. yeah, cool. <laughs> if I can kill it, I can eat it. I don't yeah. care if it's a bug or a snake. Let's go mm-hmm. get it, you know. Yes. That's a pretty cool adventurous attitude. I think if a lot more people uh, had that, I think the the world might be even a better place. Or at the very least, if people manage to step out of their comfort zone and uh, look to see what is beyond themselves. Like you said, in your growing up, you had uh, diverse growing up. I, I had somewhat similar as well. I grew up in Imperial Beach, California, and we were sort of like a, like a military town and people were coming in all the time. And I grew up with a lot of variety of people. And I think that informed me a little bit as well, that there's a world beyond your own doorstep. Oh, definitely. I think I, you know, and I have a lot of family that's military as well. And it's one of the things that comes up a lot, especially with my friends that were military brats, traveled around a bunch. I'll tell you like, oh man, you know, you, I, I learned about this type of food or how this culture works or whatever, because mm-hmm. they spent two years there or four years there. And I think people who don't travel and, and not even like abroad, there's people who haven't traveled outside their home state. Yeah. You know? And it's tough because I've, I lived in completely different parts of the country. I'm having to explain to some people, no, this is how some things work in Texas. You know? mm-hmm. No, this is how some things work in Washington. You know, like these, these are completely different reasons that these have to exist in these places. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I think taking a step back, kind of just trying to understand why somebody has the view that they do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the, I think on this last ep- uh, episode of our podcast, I think it was episode 29, talked a little bit about how even people of culture than the gaming community have to market themselves a little bit differently 
Mm-hmm. I've even just been tracking my numbers on even when I've gone out of my way to produce a better video and put better content or whatever, with my face being on it, sometimes they perform worse. Hmm. So mm-hmm. I have to decide when is it important to make sure that as a person of color am visible that particular topic or whatever. And when is it better for me to just like, no, let me just put a generic thumb now. Mm-hmm. And the most recent example I can think of is I, uh, one of the local stores here, I say local, I had to drive like 40 minutes to a store, <laughs> but he volunteered to let me use this store. And this was like just before, it was maybe like three, three weeks, three weeks before the real like isolation thing started. And we were talking about, well, what are ways that people could still engage at their stores and things that store owners could do to make their stores cleaner, you know, reduce the possibility of spreading any viruses, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he sent me a message. We worked it out. I drove to his store that night. As a matter of fact, we filmed this while he was literally, as it turns out, like three hours from having a baby. Hmm. <laughs> so, like, we're knocking this out. We're walking around the store. We're filming things outside. You know, I came home, edited stuff, edited more in the morning, added up. As I was making the thumbnail, I know this is an important piece of content. I'm going to share it with people in the industry. Like I had to decide, was it worth it for me to be seen on this wearing a mask or not? Mm-hmm. Because that's a thing that's not a positive thing for particularly black guys, you know? Sure. Like there, there is some like uneasiness to do that and have people see you like that. Mm-hmm. So, I'll, and I'll even tell you, the other day I took stuff to the post office wearing a mask and I made sure both my hands were seen. The yeah. one package, the hand that was holding a package was highly visible. You know, I mm-hmm. went through all the steps. Mm-hmm. But, that was a decision I made to put on that video and it didn't perform well mm. for the first few days till I really pushed it, got it in front of some more people. They talked about it a little bit. Okay. And it started picking up traction when I put extra work to it. Yeah. I think once people saw the content was good and they started sharing it, they're like, Oh, okay, well, Hey, here's this video you might want to check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's stuff like that that goes on that I don't think people are even aware of. And we talked about it. Like, I don't think it's about people being overtly racist or anything. I think some of it's just, see somebody who looks like you or that you're comfortable yeah. with and then like click on that thing right if you mm-hmm. have a choice that's what a lot of people do we talk about it a lot like it's kind of how what happens in school clicks right you go by the group that you know if you're a nerd you sit with the nerds if you're a black person you probably sit with the black people if you're a cheerleader mm-hmm. you sit with the cheerleader right mm-hmm. it's, it's we kind of do the same thing subconsciously as adults so mm-hmm. some of it is trying to break that stigma and just show people like yeah other people know what they're talking about too and there's some good stuff here you should probably check it out mm-hmm. that's all of that subconscious aspect of of all of us that through our upbringing perhaps it's still there that we might not realize but um, i think as more representation appears as more people that look like me that look like you that look like her i think that definitely uh you know that uh, that, that tide raises all boats Oh, definitely. You know, I saw a thread just this morning, actually, where people on Twitter were excited because I guess somebody had realized that Noda, the new card, the red white card, is actually missing an arm. She's disabled, Mm -hmm. and that's and it was it was nice because they were they were excited to see somebody who an amputee that didn't have like a prosthetic arm or whatever, and you know, yeah, they weren't covering it up like. You can see where she's got her sleeve kind of hooked up into mm. this like strap, but she doesn't have an arm there. But yeah. she's still leading the charge. She's got her giant bear behind her, you know, and she's still a strong character. 
that meant a lot to a lot of people, apparently. I mean, you're, you're reading through this thread and people are like, oh, that's awesome. Now I want to know more about this character. Yes. It's cool they actually did that. You know, like, that means stuff to people because there's not as many opportunities to see somebody that's different for them, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I remember when I was at Wizards, sorry, I'm kind of like going off on a tangent here, but like, <laughs> I remember when I was at Wizards, it was around the time they were doing testing for Vivian. And they were doing these things where they were calling people in, both people inside and outside of Wizards. They were showing you different pieces of artwork you know, where she's done up in the woods and she's got this cloak on and all this other stuff. Just like for which ways they want to kind of depict her on the first few opportunities with different art styles. And, stuff. Mm-hmm. and I remember particularly saying, you know, no question, this particular piece of art. Mm-hmm. And we're like, wow, like you're because, you know, I'm a person like a lot of stuff. I'm like, eh, this one's pretty good. Now, there's not much difference between these or whatever, but that one I said particularly because her hood is down, you can see that she is a darker skinned woman. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to make a difference. Like, no confusion. It's not because she's like an elf. She's not that she's just a human woman that happens to be darker skin and she likes the bow and the animals. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a thing people will relate to. And if you notice, they do a, a lot of the artwork they do with Vivian. They make sure her face is visible. You know, yeah. that was the feedback they got from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, that stuff does matter to people. Yeah. It's always about that representation. And I applaud Wizards that they've been trying to go through that route of more diversity, more representation, because more people playing more magic is more good. Bad grammar aside. Absolutely. And I will say this, too. I think I do understand if you are this average white guy that plays magic and you see all this stuff and it can sometimes feel like an attack. Hmm. And, and one of the best quotes I saw is, is like in or privilege is being challenged. It can feel like you're being attacked hmm. because you've gotten used to everything being about you. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm not saying that to be obligatory toward anybody or just negative toward anybody. Like it's just, it's just the way it was, right? That's that's yeah. the way it was for many years. So you kind of just get comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But think about like why you're comfortable with that. Like you like seeing people that look like you. Mm-hmm. You get used to that. And other people who are playing have had to play without seeing people that look like them. Mm-hmm. You know, like so we're not saying and I and I don't think anybody who does any type of work in that space is saying okay we need to just eliminate you know that some percentage of this needs to be this it's like no we're just saying like you can still have the space we're saying like everybody should just be able to share the space equally that's all Mm -hmm. completely agree on that and like i said i think that the company's going in in a good way on that and i hope that they continue to do that and expanding their horizons and uh reaching more people well i do too i do too so as we wind down, uh, final thoughts. Who's your favorite companion so far on Ikoria? Ooh, my favorite companion. Now I do see I have I might have like a, a leg up on your answer because I am looking at the thumbnail where you do have ranking Ikoria companions. So well, that's the thing. I ranked them yes. for quality, not oh, which ones okay. I like. I, I will tell you that the two at the top are pretty much the two that people expect. The rest of the list is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, me personally, I recently experimented with Mari, a gruel deck, believe it or not. Hmm. 
uh, just playing an all creature gruel list, which was kind of neat. Uh, matter of fact, that video is rendering. It's done rendering right now, actually. So I will be yeah. when we get done with this podcast, I'll I'll be getting that loaded and scheduled. Uh-huh. Uh, but so like that's probably like my favorite of the day. I will say I do like an artwork standpoints. Yeah, uh, the red white one. The, it's got like it's like a golden like a fiery looking fox. Mm-hmm. I do think that artwork is pretty sweet too. I just unfortunately don't have a deck for it where it matters. Hmm. This new companion format, I think, is some cool space that Wizards is going into in terms of you've got these stipulations, you've got perhaps some sort of tribal thing that you can do. If you're playing with all of standard, you can create some interesting broken things, perhaps. So I, I kind of like that, that they're always trying, even though the game is 25, 26, 27 years old, they're still trying new things. They're not just resting on their laurels and stagnating and as for myself well i like i like kahira the orphan guard that's that legendary creature cat beast i like to do like uh cat decks and selesnia cats has always kind of been my favorite it's never been really top tier but it's fun for me and there's plenty of cats in standard at the moment so i've been having fun putting together just a fun little (laughs) selesnia cat deck with kahira it's cool you know i i think that's the the thing i think people can find cool themes like that to build around it's really neat i think the problem is though some of them weren't so much theme based it's more just like oh my deck already kind of does this mm-hmm. let me change three or four cards and then i can play this you know companion mm-hmm. and it's funny because it, outside of probably the godzilla stuff that's probably the next most polarizing thing out of the set yeah mm-hmm. and i will say on stream when i have people i every time i have new people in my stream for the last week that's come up at least once. Like, what's your opinion on command uh, companions? Like, what do you think about companions? Like, do you think companions are broken? I was like, why is this a thing everybody wants to talk about? You know, <laughs> but I will say this though. I, I don't have a problem with companions inherently. I think being something that kind of guides you to build around or whatever. I think that is mostly okay. And there's a lot of games where people have the companion and it doesn't even matter. Like yeah. they have it or they get it into play and you kill it and you know, whatever. Yeah. But I think the issue is just strictly it being a free or mo- 99.9% free yeah. card. Mm-hmm. That's the real issue. Because I saw a creatureless deck, I think was playing Kahira. Just have another body. Like you get it for free if you're willing to give up a sideboard slot. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'll just play this and have a body I can fight with. Mm. You know? I, I, the Omari thing for the gruel thing, like there's no reason for it, but I'm like, well, if I could play this and then I'm all creatures and I can get them a little bit cheaper, like, let me give it a shot, you know, mm-hmm. that that kind of works. So it's just like, okay. But what I, and I, I had been thinking about this and Jim Davis actually has a good video on YouTube on his channel where he kind of articulates it very well. But I agree with him that if we play rules change for companions, you were to start with a companion start with one less card in hand mm-hmm. i think that goes a long way toward balancing them mm-hmm. and i don't think it's wrong because like you know to his point you've changed the legend rule four times i think yeah. in magic mm-hmm. so we could go ahead and change a rule for companions especially since they're so new yeah that might be an interesting way to handle that, definitely. Um, kind of like maybe how the vanguards were back in the day, that you'd get that extra effect, but you had some variation of your life and hand size. Although that wasn't really like um, 
uh, like standard legal, but I don't think that it was even the term back then, was it? Well, that was actually part of the arena league. Oh, so yeah. That was the thing they ran in stores. Stores would order these kits, and then people would show up, and you'd pay like, you know, five bucks or ten bucks for your league fee for the season, and you would get these different uh, oversized cards, mm-hmm. and you started with those abilities, and you'd play your league day or your tournament or however they decided to run it, and then you'd win cool different prize cards and stuff. Playing. As a matter of fact, I think they did three different sets of those. So yeah. they're, they're kind of a fun variation to play, but yeah, they weren't ever tournament legal. Yeah, I don't know how I got a hold of them. They might have been like in insert back in uh, Inquest, but I think I've got maybe the Mishra one, maybe one more. I don't remember which one, but um, I never really got to play with them in leagues back in the day. But uh, that was kind of an interesting thing, a, a variation on your hand size or life total to get some sort of other like omnipresent effect. And I think these don't necessarily have to go like that far. But even just one less card, I think, changes how much you want to play that companion or not. Mm-hmm. Like, you then start deciding, okay, if I'm building this deck and this companion is important cog to this deck, then I will take one less card. But if it's just kind of like a neat addition to the deck mm-hmm. and it doesn't have that big of an impact when I play it, and I guess I'll just play it in the deck instead of playing it as my free eighth card. Mm-hmm. And I think that that changes the perspective on those. Now, some of them, they're still going to be strong. They're still going to be powerful. But, I mean, somebody, like a card like Garuda, you're trying to hit six mana as quick as possible to play that card. Mm-hmm. If you knew you were starting with one less card, it was going to make it that much harder for you to either, you know, cantrip into the card or play a couple of mana creatures and get what you need. You may not want to play that deck or that card that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you might change the way the deck's built. There's a lot of interesting things that change all because of one card. Yeah. Well, thanks for your thoughts on that. Uh, I'm going to stick with my uh, my cat decks and just win once in a while. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you can't overrun somebody with the cat. Yes, it has happened. I had like a, uh, I beat like someone's Uro deck with just a bunch of cats suddenly pouncing on them. So it can be done. There you go. <laughs> Especially the one that mutate and gives everybody plus two yeah yeah that that can definitely help you end a game yes uh when someone is trying to build up their board state for something amazing but i just keep chipping at them with little cat scratches here and there it does add up yep (laughs) well power dragon um let's tell the listeners one more time about uh your online presence yeah, I'm kind of all over the place right now. Like I said, if you just want some uh, ideas and tips while you're at home stuck in isolation or whatever term we're using for people staying at home, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at, mm-hmm. sheltered in place, I guess, is the popular one for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I do have stuff over on my Instagram. Uh, you can find me on all these channels, by the way. Uh, I use Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-R-A-G-N. Uh, so, yeah, you can find me over there. I do Twitch on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, 9 p.m. to midnight. You can also find me over on YouTube and on Twitter. So those are kind of like the main places where I stay active. Great. Thank you so much. I'm going to add those links to the show notes to have people check you out. As for myself, I'm pretty much VM Campos all over the place as well. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I've got an Instagram. I stream Saturdays 8 p.m. Pacific time on both YouTube and Twitch simultaneously. 
Uh, I have a Patreon. People can go check out the Patreon and just simply follow to keep up to date with everything that I do, my podcast episodes, my YouTube content, my streams, etc. If people go to the $1 tier, they will get access to the exclusive stuff. And at the $2 range, I'll actually mail people a vintage card in appreciation, uh, but no, not a Black Lotus. So that's where, <laughs> that's where people can find me there. So um, once again, Power Dragon, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I love getting on and talking to people about these different types of history of the game moments mm -hmm. and, you know, just a lot of the community stuff that's going on that people just may not even be aware of. So I think it's cool to have the opportunity just to get on and talk about all that. Mm -hmm. And then I hope to have you back on again at some point and we can even talk a little bit more strategy. Oh, I would love to. We can talk about strategy. Like I said, we could do a whole show yes. on just everything. Magic on YouTube, you know, the matter magic twitter yeah. i mean like there's so many things we, we could easily talk hours about magic in the old days when there was mana burn and banding oh man those those i, I, I would call them the old days i wouldn't call them the good old days <laughs> but they're definitely old days yes. <laughs> so this has been vm campos and i'll see you in the arena